This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Hi, Tang. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Kenneth? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I should have prepared you with this question. I know it's a loaded question. We talked about it uh, shortly before we came on here. <laughs> I apologize, but hopefully we can um, we can approach it in a in a in a way where we can open up the topic. We'll just improvise. Yeah. That's what life is, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of improvisation. I I <laughs> love that improvising, but I don't want to get in the hot water with anybody. You know, I want to keep it cool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should grow out of that, but you know, it's scary. Improvising is scary. And we could talk about that too. I want to hear, you know, obviously your line of work requires a lot of that. <laughs> so what does it mean to be Vietnamese to you today? And what does the country itself mean to you? Um, well, as an identity, right? For me, Vietnamese uh, is, you know, my connection to my family my connection to food, my connection to, you know, the, the sort of um, cultural artifacts that have uh, been preserved and passed on. Um, you know, even the way we interact with one another, you know, you know, there are things that are amazing in traditions and there are things that, you know, requires interrogation. Right, and so for me, um, being a Vietnamese American, Vietnamese first American, you know, because this is my host family, my host country, um, I, uh, my experience as a Vietnamese is what I know of my family. Yeah, you know, um, and that that is my identity of uh, a Vietnamese person. Now, when I go out into the bigger community at large, then it becomes in you know, uh, uh, a shock for me because some of the things that I see my fellow Vietnamese, you know, um, uh, you know, their belief, their practices, their um, ideology don't coincide with mine. Um, and sometimes they're at very distinct opposition. Um, and when I mean, you know, distinct opposition, it means exclusion, right? Yeah. You are Vietnamese if you hate Chinese people, right? Things right. like that. You are Vietnamese because you're better than other people. You are Vietnamese because of this and that. And so it becomes like a, you know, if that is the national identity, I'm not sure if I'm interested in a national identity yeah. that, that, that forms exclusion to make you, you know, Vietnamese. 
I'm just not interested in that. Um, yeah, you know, I've seen oppositions between the, the Catholic Church, yep. you know, or the Catholic Vietnamese and Buddhists. I mean, come on, look at our history in Vietnam. No one stood up for the monk, you know, um, for the Buddhists during, uh, um, you know, uh, the, that, that period of the Vietnam War, right? I mean, is that our identity? Is that our national identity, right? Um, so, and then, you know, the, the, um, the uh, you know, our what does it mean to be Vietnamese? There's like North, South, Central, and then all the native tongues in the highlands, you know, yeah. but that we never hear about, right? And they're not protected. They're like second-class citizens too, you know, within our own national um, uh, um, uh, landscape. Yeah. Right? So, it's it's hard for me to identify as you know uh, nationally um, as a, a Vietnamese because I just don't know I just don't know what it is that we truly represent you know but what I know is that there's a lot of exclusion yeah and so it's hard and this uh, I was just talking to another guest uh, yesterday about um, you know we we're just doing a pre-interview and the very thing that you're bringing up right now which flag do are we a part of anymore right there's two flags yeah. i mean there, there's exclusion in that too mm -hmm. and that's something that we it's taboo to talk about now we we're not allowed to talk about it we're not allowed to kind of public as public people entertainers or people in that space it's very difficult to talk about and we should be able to talk about it right mm -hmm. if we're vietnamese well but think about it right i mean our our um language is a language of hierarchy, right? Yeah. We are taught from the beginning that we have to follow this structure, this filial piety, this yeah. hierarchy in family. And so how can we interrogate these things? You know, like, this is what you see, this is what you understand, this is what is accepted. And so growing up, yeah, we accepted it, we understood it, but then we never really interrogate what, what do those things mean, you know, to the rest of the people? I mean, you know, the three stripes, the three, the three um, uh, uh, what's that, uh, provinces, right? But yeah. what about all the highland people who don't identify with those things? And they are native Vietnamese, you know? So um, we, you know, it, it's hard to have a discussion because our, our, our um, form of communication is based off of hierarchy, right? Yeah. And so there's no room for interrogation. It's no, you listen to me because I'm older. I'm yeah, right, I'm older. Yeah, there's. Uh, I think the Vietnamese language is one of the few. I mean, as much as I know, it's one of the few languages that has a baked-in hierarchical mm -hmm. structure to it. You know, there's a very clear positioning, sort of yeah. triangulation of your position to whoever you're speaking to. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's assumed that I'm right if I'm older. It's assumed that you must respect my me, my position, even if you don't agree with me, because I'm older. And that's 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 you know, respect is something it's earned. Yeah. Right? Not positioned. But now, you know, 
in that pre-interview that I talked to with my guest yesterday, you know, he's in his early 60s and he brought up a really good point, though. Really good point. You know, he's been here in America since the early days. And he said to me, it's not that I'm older than you. It's just that I hurt more. Mm. The flag, the flag issue brings hurt to myself and to the people that align with a certain flag. And we hurt from that. We bleed from that. And you have to, you have to understand that, that that's something that maybe you don't relate to, mm -hmm. but just know that when you're talking to people of my generation, that I'm bleeding and I, and the, the wound will never heal. And I was blown away because I've never thought of it that way. Well, that I can stand by, right? Yeah. That I can stand by. I can respect that. But when you can't apply that to other groups, then it becomes a hierarchy of oppression, a hierarchy of yeah. tragedy, right? My tragedy is greater, yeah. greater than yours, yeah. even though we are both in tragedies, right? <laughs> and so it's like, but it's, it's, it's when it's framed like that, that it's difficult because then, you know, uh, I, I, it, it's, it's difficult when we have a community that says that, but can't see it on other bodies, other people, because yeah. of what? National identity, race, right? Yeah. You know, we're I have a feeling we're going to weave in and out of this, bobbing <laughs> in and out of this uh, topic, which is I'm, I'm game for, you know, um, but I also do want to learn more about your journey and uh, your work. But I think that this is going to be a thematic sort of through line for the both of us to talk about, because this is something that we're, you know, very near and dear to it. You were born in Vietnam, right? I was, yes. Um, I learned, first of all, I want to get this, uh, I want to get this, um, I want to commend you first, uh, because I read through the, what you wrote about the quiet imprint on your website, and I was blown away by the effort and the thinking that you um, you, ex you you explored it on on with words, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I, 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 I you know sometimes I get I get surprised because you're a dancer and I'm like oh you're just a dancer what is you know like, but there's so much thought that is put into sort of like um, the journey of mm -hmm. how you arrived at the the, the work uh, quite imprint. So I want to commend you on that. I I'm just Thank so you. impressed by that. You know. So oh, I you, loved it. It was an awesome project. So you yeah, know, we, it was so rewarding for me. Just I for me. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you about that too, because uh, Kanli is a, a big, um, it's just a big uh, symbol in our, um, in our, in our art, in the, in the journey of art. Mm -hmm. um, yes. lot, lots to discuss about her too. Um, so you, you were born in Vietnam and um, you come, how old were you when you came to the United States? Uh, I was three when so, I yeah. arrived. Three or four, because I knew I started kindergarten in Got the it. States. Yeah. Where, where did you grow up in the States? In Texas. What yeah. part of Texas? Uh, Port Arthur. Port Arthur. That's yeah, down that's like, south, right? Yes. Near Galveston, yeah. is that? That's where our um, um, sponsor was. Uh, it's Yeah, it's by Galveston. Yeah, because I think my parents hung out there for a little bit. There, we had uh, some people that my dad knew. Yeah, so I remember being, you know, in the conversation. I was uh, probably, you know, a, a pop too, uh, you know, a baby. 
So how, how long did you live there in uh, Port Arthur? Um, I think four years, four years. And then we moved to Virginia uh, with uh, our family. We had relatives there and then um, it was too cold. Um, <laughs> my mom wasn't used to it. So we headed uh, west to California, to Los Angeles. Wow, you grew up in Los Angeles. What part of Los Angeles? Um, we grew up in Covina and then Montclair. Oh, beautiful. Montclair is a beautiful town. So w- w- when you were growing up in um, Port Arthur and Virginia, you were probably not experiencing a whole, whole lot of like, uh, you know, the difference between like you as a Vietnamese boy and the kids around you yet? Or did it really happen by the time you got to LA, you kind of started coming to be able to think about things differently? Um, no, I think I think more more so after college. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think, I, so my high school years were the best. So they were my, they were my favorite, mm. you know, my favorite years. So growing up to that point, it was, I didn't see any of the things I saw, you know, yeah. because my environment, my teachers, my friends, were not of that, you know, like um, kind of a, a I, don't, I don't know, just, you know, I mean, they yeah. embraced me. They, they never made me feel like an outsider. Very rare. Very yeah. rare to have a good high school experience from uh, the guests that I've talked to. Yeah. Um, especially being Vietnamese sometimes. It's like, uh, wait, so did you go to high school in Montclair? No, I went to high school. Um, at the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. Oh, okay. That makes, yeah, that makes all the sense to me now. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I've yeah. seen, you know, I've seen, I've experienced it, but it was like within like my community or, you know, mm-hmm. other community, but it, it, it didn't feel like it, right? It, it wasn't like, it didn't feel like it. It just felt like, yeah, it could have been like bullying or other, but, you know, it could have been raised. It could have been, you know, because I was different, you know, um, but it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't traumatize me. I was never traumatized. They were aspect of it. But the thing was, I always had people defending me always. So it felt very yeah. equalized. But this is LA and this is a school yeah. of the arts. It's just, you know, you're going to get, um, you're going to get very open-minded people. What, yeah. what, uh, if you lived in Covina or Montclair, how did you get to high school every day? Oh, well, so the high school is uh by cal state la which is not far okay yeah got it so my brother would drive me or my mom or when i got my car <laughs> got it got it yeah it's uh cal state lake to um yeah, Covina, it's like 15 20 minutes yeah maybe very cool and what inspired you to go to that school um well i started taking um dance classes at cal state la on weekends when I was younger in middle school and I really liked it. Um, and then I didn't want to go to public high school. So I ended up there. I but ended up auditioning. Who, who took you to, uh, how did you figure that out at, at that young age in middle school? Like I want to dance. Um, I had a friend who heard about it. And also my English teacher said I had too much energy. <laughs> and so, and so she said, 
but she she knew she saw where the energy was from it was from my dancing she was like wow you have a lot of you know energy and you know and you love to move and all this stuff she she said consider you know there's a there's a, a weekend conservatory at cal state la uh, every saturday um and you can explore you know and so that's how i just you know i i went there i thought that um i was gonna learn mtv you know dance video music yeah. award you know janet jackson stuff and so I was really excited. And when I got there, it was nothing like, <laughs> it was nothing like what I saw on, you know, Janet Jackson's music videos. Yeah. Um, uh, what did you see? Um, well, it was what, what one would call modern, right? Now, like now that I know what it's called, it's, it was modern, but um, it was very um, technical. Right there, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't um, um, gestural. You know, it wasn't. Uh, it, it was just different. It was just like there. There was a system in place that um, we had to go through in terms of you know exercises to form. You know, to form our language, to form our feet, mm. to form our legs, to form our posture, to form our understanding of how the body moves through space. Um, and so, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't what I expected, and I was kind of shocked. <laughs> and the teacher, uh, Miss McDonald, Karen McDonald, um, she said, "Give it a try. You know, come back." And because she could tell, I was like shocked. Not, yeah, was like this is not what I thought it was. You know, <laughs> but not completely turned off. Not completely turned off. Um, I mean, she said, you know, and I was pretty, um, uh, you know, impressed by her. You know, yeah. And um, she said. Just give it a try, give it a couple of weeks. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it, right? But don't just do it once and then make an assumption. And so, you know, I came back every week and I just worked on, you know, um, the exercises, the, you know, learning the language. And I, it really, you know, it, it became something, you know, it became something I could relate to that helped me get into the high school. Wow. And was there a sort of a, an audition process to get into the high school that you went to? Yeah. Um, so uh, you had to audition. You had to go in and show them what you know and show them how you can dance. Uh, and, you know, the panel, the, the panel could tell I had limited dancing. You know, what I had was like, you know, they could tell from my technique that I was new to all this. Yeah. Um, but um, they needed boys, so it was easier to get in. Mm. Um, and they asked me to improvise, you know. And in my head, I'm like, well, I have nothing to lose. <laughs> and I really <laughs> want to go to the school. I'm going to give them what they want, you know. And so they asked me to improvise and, you know, I didn't show any shyness. I think that's what they wanted to see mm -hmm. that I was not scared. Um, and I was not afraid to make a fool out of myself Yeah, and just, you know, um, go for it, you know? Um, okay. Now, when you say you went for it, what did you do? Like break dance? <laughs> did you like, what did, like, what did you improvise? How could, like, if I'm sitting here trying to imagine some eighth grader auditioning for, a board of people who's going to allow you to come in and I'm like improvise. Do you, you know, break dance? You do, how, where do you get the music from? What, what, can you set that up? So it's like, um, so 
I think for me, when they said improvise, like looking back, it was not because they wanted to see how amazing and improvisational is I, I, I was, right? Right. I think they wanted to give me the space to move naturally, however I respond you know, to the music. Um, and th- they wanted to see that I was not scared, right? That I, I would just go for it. Once, once, the music's, uh, once the music was on, I had no barriers, mm-hmm. you know, and I would just dance, dance, whatever, however I responded. I mean, I, I don't remember what it was, but, um, you know, it was, you know, I just dance. I just, you know, applied what I thought they wanted to see and also the things that I've learned from MTV. What kind of music did they put on? Or did you uh, request it? I, I think it must have been some instrumental music, you know, because I know it, it was a pretty um, traditional school in terms of uh, theory. Uh, and so it would either be like percussionist, mm. you know, like a percussion, yeah. you know. Driven um, piece. Yeah. yeah. So mm. you're sitting in um, this school and you start out in ninth grade. You're just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a dancer for the rest of my life or am I going to... That's great. Yeah. 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 So do you think like, okay, well, I'm going to go through this program and then I'll just go out and then go to regular college and then become an accountant. Or do you like, I'm going to like really pursue this path at that age. Oh no, I, I was not thinking that at all. I mean, I think I, I, I liked it and it was like a nice environment to be in. And it was on a college campus, you know, with a college cafeteria, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Campus is big and, you know, you're here, you feel like you're an adult and then all your uh, classmates and, you know, your peers are all in the arts, you know? Right. Uh, so it was more the environment. It was a safe environment for me. Um, and I just enjoyed dancing. So it was, you know, it was perfect. It, yeah. it didn't feel like I was in, you know, like a... Um, I, it didn't feel like I was in high school. It, it felt like I was a young kid going to college that happened to, you know, be a high school. Um, and um, no, I didn't think about being a dancer. I mean, I was so young. I just, I just loved dancing. You know, that that was all it was. I, w- I was doing well in my academic uh, classes. Um, and to tell you the truth, you know, I didn't expect to go in that trajectory until um, the last semester of my senior year. Wow, that's pretty far into it. Yeah, I mean, I was just, you know, absorbing, you know, you know, I was young, you know, but, just really. But when junior year comes along and counselors are like, okay, what school are we gonna apply to? And, you know, where are we going? What, what kind of major are you? You had to be, you had to have been thinking about this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought about like, you know, being a teacher or a business, you know, going to business, you know, you know, who, who knew what I was yeah. doing at that time, but I was also in, in, in an environment where they saw us as artists, you know, potential artists. So they, they wanted to direct us in that um, uh, direction. Yeah. You know, I, all of my teachers, you know, I think what they wanted from their dance students uh, was to go into a dance career, but I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't think about that until my the second semester of my senior year. Okay, so second semester of your senior year, what did you? 
I mean, you you ended up at a very uh, at a spectacular school. I mean, we'll we'll get into that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, so I've never taken ballet before until I got mm. to that school, and the moment I walked into my first ballet class, it changed my whole perception of dance. You know, everyone was very um, committed, focused, and it, it just it just looked so beautiful. Mm. You know, the the commitment in you know just everyone doing you know these exercises with such care, caution, and precision, and you know thought, and you know just seriousness, um, and. You know, I tried my best every day. You know, it was not always the best because it was not, you know, it was not something I grew up with. You know, it was very difficult. You know, by that time, many of them had already had, you know, 10 10 years, yeah, you know, of of ballet. Um, So, but I worked hard, you know, like I I always saw people who were better than me and aspire to be like them. That was my thing. Like, I was like, oh my God. that's my that's my idol that's my you know that's that's who i'm gonna look mm-hmm. up to you know and so i always had someone to um impress and inspire me which is great right to yeah. be in an environment where you can you are inspired constantly and impressed constantly so you know second semester uh of um your senior year you have to submit um to colleges mm-hmm. uh what's the thought process at that time uh um nervous not knowing you know but i applied to three schools okay Um, which three i applied to uc irvine i applied to new york university and Mm -hmm. juilliard um and those were the three schools. I think, no, either UC Irvine or UCLA. I'm not sure. I think it was UC Irvine. I'm not sure. It's one of those. It's Irvine or LA because they both had dance departments. Mm, at the time. Okay. Um, and, um, and, and, and NYU and Juilliard. Yes. Um, and so I went and auditioned for NYU and Juilliard in San Francisco. Um, you know, just getting myself there with my friends going and, you know, showing up to the audition with, you know, three, 400 other, other young, you know, um, auditioners. Um, It was, it was pretty scary, you know, it was pretty scary, but it was also very exciting. I felt like an adult, you know, with friends uh, taking the train up there. Um, And, you know, I, I, intimidation is not like something I, I'm versed in. I, I don't, for me, it's more like, what can I do? How can I, you know, what what do I need to do? How can I assess this um, and give it my best, right? And how, yeah. prepared, how prepared have I set myself up to be, you know? And so those were always like the, determin- the, the determination factors for me in terms of like how I'm going to approach things. Um, and so when I went to audition for, you know, NYU and Juilliard, I was nervous, yeah, but I wasn't intimidated it was yeah. more it was more like wow this is such an amazing moment um you know that i'm here i'm nervous i'm going to give it my best i'm going to focus right because i'm always yeah. like, you know I, I get into a zone once i'm focused i'm like that's what i'm going to do mm-hmm. uh, and so 
you know, um, I got kept for uh, after after the audition, uh, and you know, they told us that um, we were we we weren't selected yet, but we were in the final pool of considerations. Um, and so I got um, my letter from uh, I think it was UC Irvine and then UCLA, no, not UCLA, and NYU, and then I hadn't heard back from Juilliard yet. Um, and then one day where I decided to kind of not go to school was the day I got the phone call. So, you know, it just happened by chance that it was so random. I decided not to go to school, you know, I wanted to take a break. I get this phone call, say, um, hello, is this, you know, Tan Dow? Um, in, in her British accent, the, the, the person that called her name is Margot. It turns out, you know, I, I became friends with her when I was at at, at the um, at Juilliard. But um, she's like, uh, "Is this Tan Dao?" And I was like, "Yeah." It's like, "Congratulations, you've been accepted into the Juilliard School." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so it was like that was how I got my no letter, no nothing. Well, it came. It finally came later. Yeah, but the call came first. The call came first, and at that moment, I was like, "Oh my!" Because I didn't think I was going to get in. Actually, that was the truth. I, no one in my school thought I was going to get in. You know, um, and so uh, it was a surprise for me. And um, I drove back to school that day and told my director, my teachers, and all my close friends. And you know, the whole school knew by then because it was a very small school. Um, and that year I was the only, uh, student from the, from my high school that got into Juilliard. What was the audition, um, setting like, uh, when you went, you said San Francisco, right? Mm -hmm. Did you know, like, you know, when you go and take the MCAT and the LSATs, you mm -hmm. know what the questions are going to be. But when you go audition for something like Juilliard, do they go, okay, we're going to play this song for you. It's going to be four minutes. It's going to be modern. It's going to be ballet. Like what it kind of prep do you do for something like that? Well, there's, there's, there's a structure, you know, um, yeah. usually you, you take bar, which is, you know, you, you hold the bar and you perform these exercises, you know, that they give you. So, you know, they give you, they demonstrate these exercises and you have to, uh, copy them, right? Um, and so, I mean, it's it's a structure that we're all familiar with, and we go through these different exercises. There, there's an order, um, but the you know the the configurations for those exercises or the the the, the um, you know how it's how this how the exercises are created depends on you know whoever it is. But you know we we have the language to like mm, yeah look at it and say, okay, I know what that means. You know, I know what that is, you know? So um, there was a structure um, and then we go so, from bar, we go yeah. to center, and then we do like, you know, all the big exercises. So it's a gradual buildup um, so that you're not hurt. And also you're prepared to, um, you know, uh, do big steps by the end. And then they ask for a solo. Got it, got it, got it. And when you go into this, you have to be in tip top shape. You have to be at the, at the prime of whatever prep you've done. Right. Yeah. I mean, we dance every day. So mm -hmm. we were all pretty, you know, like 
you know, our stamina was there. Our mental capacity was yeah. there. Yeah. So. And as you're going through this, uh, do you realize like, okay, I'm nailing this. I'm, I'm like killing it right now. No. Like, do you think about that or? No, it's more like, oh, I wish I did that better. <laughs> oh, look at that person. Wow. They're so good. <laughs> or like, oh my God, in your head, you're like, okay, I got to remember this. I got to remember this. Step. <laughs> you know, your nerves are also underlying, you know, it's, yeah. it's there. So no, it's not like, yeah, no, it's more like, oh, I wish I did that better. You know, that sounds pretty nerve wracking. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so you get to, you get to Juilliard um, and you do four years there, right? I did one. Oh, you did one year there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what was that experience like? Crazy. It's a, it was probably the, the hardest year because it was my first year. Um, and um, it was, you know, my classmates were amazing. Like I could watch all of them and they were all ready for a professional company. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, have, I had only done, you know, two years of dancing um, compared to theirs, right? So it was like, oh, you know, like, but it was, it kicked my, it kicked my butt, you know, in terms of, and it taught me a lot in terms of how to read technique because I was, you know, in a cohort with like some of the best, you know, dancers of my class, you know, of my time. And um, to be able to see what it looks like on their bodies, you mm. know, and to absorb all of that, it was like, you know, that I took with me for the rest of my life. life yeah. Yeah, like that, like teaching me how to read theory and technique and then having the best teachers, you know, I'm, I loved my teachers and we're still friends, you know, a lot of uh, them, uh, we still talk, you know, when we see each other. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I was there for one year because um, I did a summer program in Boston um, following my first year. And um, the director, Yasuko Tokunaga, um, and her sister, they were the directors at the Boston Conservatory. Um, and so I did my summer program there and it was very amazing. Um, she, she, I would credit her for igniting the, the, the choreographic, you know, um, ex, uh, you know, exploration, you mm -hmm. know, she's the one that pushed me towards choreography. I came there, she said, here are nine dancers, go into the studio, make a dance. I'm like, I've never, mm. I, don't, I don't know how to, I'm, I'm still trying to learn how to be a dancer, you know? Yeah. Um, and so for the whole summer program, um, after our technique classes and, you know, all of the rehearsals and all that stuff, I would go into the studio with these dancers and would start exploring with choreography and creating a dance. And it turns out, you know, one of her reasons was she didn't want us in the streets. <laughs> she wanted us in the studio working. She didn't want us, you know, to like, you know, she was, it was intense. She wanted us to really focus on the summer and all that. And so it was a, it was a very fun summer and I, I love her. I love Emmy, her sister. They are um, two very close um, people in my life and we still stay in, you know, contact and we talk. They know everything that I'm doing. 
Um, so when I went back home that, you know, two weeks before going back to Juilliard, I get this package. For the second year? Going mm -hmm. back for the second year? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you do Boston Conservatory for the summer and then you go. Just the summer, yeah. Got it. Yeah. And so, you know, so two weeks before um, going back to Juilliard for my second year, I get this package from the Boston Conservatory and it's a full ride. And then I get a package from Juilliard, which is half. And I have to look for my own, you know, dorm, dorm. or my own living space in New York City. And, you know, my parents can afford that. Um, and so the whole idea of like going to New York and looking for a space and then, you know, looking for money to supplement, you know, um, taking on bigger loans, I was like, I don't know, you know, like this is a full package. I love these two women. They're yeah. Asian, Asian directors. Um, and they were really nurturing me. Yeah. Something I didn't get at Juilliard, you know, because there were 24 of us because they only take 13 boys and 13 girls and it's intense training. Right. But, you know, I, I you know, I mean, I never felt someone nurturing me in a yeah. way where it's like, here, I'm going to teach you how to be a dancer and I'm going to open some, I'm going to open your eyes to choreography. And so, um, I, you know, I saw this package, which was pretty big and they would, you know, they would help me look for wow. housing and all that stuff. And just, I mean, yeah. So that was the beginning of my journey with Emmy and Yasuko Tukanaga, my directors. Um, and so I decided, well, I didn't decide. I called my um, ballet teacher at Juilliard and I, and I said, what do you think? You know, and she said, well, we can't find more scholarships for you. And Emmy and Yasi are close friends of mine. Mm. And, you know, Yasi went to Juilliard also. She's a Juilliard <laughs> um, graduate. Um, and so she said, you know, you'll be in good hands if, you know, you're considering. If money is an issue, you'll be in good hands um, with uh, Yasi and Emmy. And so, you know, um, I responded and I just, you know, told my sister, she helped me, you know, move to yeah. Boston. And that's how I went from Juilliard to the Boston Conservatory. Um, what, what made you go do the summer at the Boston Conservatory? Who kind of extended that? Um, my ballet teacher at Juilliard. So then yeah. you should check this program out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it changed the course of your life. Mm -hmm. Well, we were all encouraged to do a summer program. So every summer, I do a summer program every summer after each year. Um, and so um, I didn't have a summer program to go to. And uh, uh, Andra Corvino said, give Yasi a call, you know? And plus I'm a boy from Juilliard, you know? So it was like, yeah, come over, you know? Um, yeah. And so uh, they gave me a pretty good scholarship for the summer. Um, pretty much zero um, and <laughs> like zero, you know, like I didn't have to pay. Yeah. Um, and um, so I just went because I needed a summer program and I, you know, it was like, I think three weeks, three to four weeks. And then I did another program too, but we were encouraged to do summer programs. Um, and yeah. And so that it did change the course of my, you know, like, yeah. I, uh, I, I could Google something like this, but I'd rather hear the difference in words from you. Mm -hmm. What is a 
conservatory. I hear that my entire life in music, uh, but what is that? What does it mean? So I guess it's um, it's I guess it's a place to conserve, you know, conserve tradition of arts and all that stuff. Um, but generally, I think it's um, you know it's it's instead of a university, right? Yeah. Universities for academia or academic, and conservatories for artists. You know, Got it's it. an artist track, yeah. And it's still a four-year um, mm-hmm. program, and you still yeah. get a bachelor's. Uh, yeah. Bayer. Yeah. And you mentioned residency earlier. Um, mm-hmm. What does that mean? Let's just it get that terminology out of the way, so we can. <laughs> so it means, um, you know, uh, a space where you can explore your, you know, your your art um, without any, you know. Um, you know, they support you with resources like space, uh, stipend, you know, time. Um, so it's just a place where you go and you examine, explore, interrogate, you know, create, you know, um, in your field. So my residency is a choreographic residency. So I'm going to go and explore movements um, with dancers and they're giving, they're giving me space and you know housing and all that stuff in a theater um to work you know for a uh, for a period of time and just like with the academic side when you go and um do work at a university do they own the work that you do is that like sort of like the the deal structure that goes on or no they don't own the work that you do what is the universe what does the university get out of it if they're giving you all of these things Oh no, um, the university, well, the one that I'm at, they're supporting me yeah. in the residency, but the residency is private. It's um, someone, um, uh, uh, you know, offering it to artists. Um, they have a program and, you know, um, I was contacted. Um, so Duke Dang, he, a fellow Vietnamese, he is the managing um, director at the Guggenheim Work in Process, which is a pretty huge, um, you know, uh, Deal. I mean, yeah, he's, deal. Been, he's, he's been, um, you know, amazing in finding um, creative spaces and time for artists during the pandemic. So he's created all these, you know, creative bubbles for artists to work in. And so he was able to get funding for this particular residency um, for five uh, artists for two weeks at a time. And so he uh, contacted me to see if I was interested. Um, and of course, I said yes, because you know, it's with Duke, you know. Um, and I've known Duke for some time. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's been following my work and wanted to help, you know, wanted to see um, that I have a space during this pandemic to, you know, examine work because it's pretty hard. So you finish at um, the Boston Conservatory. What's the next? What's the next thing on your plate? So the next thing on my plate was I wanted to go straight into choreography. You know, mm-hmm. for the whole time I'm at Boston, I've been choreographing and been getting recognized. You know, by newspaper outlet, by you know, um, uh, people in the dance uh, uh, community, um, and so I um, wanted to just start it choreographing. And my Yasi and Emmy was like, mm, no, you got to go and get a dance career first. And so I'm like, really? I'm like, oh, 
Do I have what, to? What, what's the logic behind that? I think it's just, um, you know, I think it's right. Of, like it's a passage, right? Yeah. Passage in terms of, in order to choreograph, you should understand the whole, you know, um, uh, experience of being a dancer yeah. professionally. You know, you know, working with other professionals. Um, collision, right? Movement, mm-hmm. collision. You collide with people and intersect, and you know how does that shape? You know how you move, how you yeah. dance, how you think, and so um, I think, you know, she wanted. She was like, "No, you have to be a dancer. Like, you have to go out there and get a dance job first. You have to have a dance career and then choreograph because your dance, your body can only last for so long, but you can choreograph after." Yeah. You know, and so I went to all these auditions, you know, um, and, you know, did pretty well in terms of like getting kept all the way till the end. Um, and then there was this one audition um, that a colleague of mine uh, at the conservatory, she's like, hey, you want to accompany me to this audition, you know, uh, for um, Stephen Petronio? And, you know, I didn't know who he was at the time. Uh, so I'm like, okay, sure, I'll come. You know, we were in New York together. She's like, come to the audition with me. So I, I, I came. When I got there, I saw all of my Juilliard colleagues, like all of them, right? Um, and so, and there were like three, four hundred dancers auditioning for, I think, two slots, two or three slots. Yeah. Um, and so I, I did the audition naturally since I was there already, and. It was the first time I saw like someone move the way I wanted to move. Like it felt right, right? So I'm like, cause I've never seen it before. I've never seen this style of movement. Um, and I was so intrigued by the um, assistant uh, director. He was the one demonstrating and I was watching him. And I'm like, wow, I've never seen a dancer move like that. I mean, I can't mm. explain. You know, you have you have to understand the language of dance and the way bodies move and the way the styles and and so I you know I I saw um, Todd Williams perform oh no demonstrate and I'm like wow that's that's who I want to move like right yeah and so I was just like I was like zoning in on him and um, you know I tried my best and then it was time to have callbacks right and so they called all of these names right and they called you know uh uh they called yeah they called my name and then all of those names were released so we were all released we didn't make it right Uh uh we didn't we didn't get it you know so we thought oh damn all right okay so i'm like oh okay so as we're all picking up our bags and walking out the director says to the assistant you guys called the wrong names oh shit so all of the people that you called are the people he wanted to stay it it was one of those it was one of those stories where it was like (laughs) so it was like like oh my god we we got a call back you know it was like and the people who 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 thought they got a call back oh damn yeah so it was like so it was like oh so um we stayed back, we did a couple of things and then there were, you know, and then they didn't inform us who got the job. And then um, two weeks later, 
I get a phone call or an email. I get, I get an email um, or a phone call, one of those communications. It, you know, it was early in the internet, you know, email yeah. and you know, all that. Um, and it was the director, Stephen. And he said, where have you been? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, um, you were supposed to come to the callback. You know, I, and I said, well, I never got notification. I didn't, you know, I honestly did not know or else I would have, you know, come. I just thought I didn't hear back, so I didn't get the job, you know. And he's like, no, 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 um, we wanted you at the callback. Um, and I said, well, I'm really sorry. Can I, you know, yeah. can I come in for a private callback? And he's like, no, no, it's done. We hired two people. What the f- yeah, and um, he said, would you like to join the company? What? Yeah, and I was like, really? I'm like, that's how it happened. I, I, I didn't go to the second callback. And he's like, you know, I'm calling to let you know that we were interested in, in hiring you. And so um, I joined the company that way. Um, and that, that was my, you know, um, my first experience first. with a major company in New York City. So they only had two slots open, but mm-hmm. what did they bring you on board for? Um, well, I was one of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was one of them. And then there was a um, what is it? Um, and uh, what are, what are they called? I forgot. I forgot the term. Understudy. Understudy. Yeah, I was just yeah. gonna say understudy. understudy. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, so when I joined, I didn't have my paperwork to. Um, uh, I didn't have my passport to travel to Mexico. It was one of those tour. So I didn't travel earlier on. And so once I got my paper, then I was promoted to company member. Got it. Travel, yes. And then how long were you at the company for? I was there for five years. It's a long time. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good amount of time. Yeah. It's pretty, I mean, you know, um, it was, it was, it was, the right time, enough time. And then, you know, and you know, while I'm doing all of this, I was also um, uh, choreographing on the side while in New York with my friends. Like choreographing like shows, like commercially? No, no, just like my own shows, putting up my own shows and seeing who I can invite, you know, like just starting, you know, to establish yeah. some kind of um, uh, some kind of repertoire. Sure, yeah. yeah. When you um, work or dancers, when they work at these companies, these dance companies, what are, if you don't mind me asking, what is the, and I'm not asking for like dollars and cents numbers, but is the economy, economic sort of like the ratio of like making a living enough is it something that you can you know save money and and have a decent life um no it's just a rite of passage i mean Mm. it's i mean yeah we all had different jobs you know everyone in my company you know um had more than one job like we had two people working at banks you know, at events, yeah, like two of them work at Lazar, you know, you're like, what? <laughs> they're, they're like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I taught, you know, um, I taught to make extra money on the side or, core, you know, choreograph here and there. On, um, and I think other, other dancers um, taught yoga, Pilates, private sessions, you know, we all had other, you know, um, 
form of, you know, trying to make money income. Yeah. Source of income. And how much exercising or, I mean, other than dancing, do you, do you have to do additional exercise work or is the dancing enough conditioning for your body? Um, I generally take ballet before I rehearse or I, I'll do a, a modern class. So yeah, there's maintenance and then there's gym, you know, on off days we go to the gym. So yeah, there's, there's tons of maintenance and rehearsal was pretty hard. You know? Yeah. I think for five years, I didn't wake up not in pain. Oh, like every and, day was sore. My joints, yeah. it took me 20 minutes to get out of bed, adjust, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, yeah. And has your body recovered from all the pain now that you're not? Uh... Yeah. And, but are you, you're still dancing though, right? Uh, I don't, I don't dance as much. I teach. Yeah. But so when you're teaching, you have to demonstrate and you still have to be in pretty good shape. I do my, I do my, you know, um, uh, regular stretches in the morning at night, you know, do some yoga poses, um, you know, give myself a short bar. You know, I do some kind of maintenance. Yeah. You know, this is a funny question, but I hear it all the time. Um, when, when you look at somebody, um, I've heard it from dancers. They're like, oh, I can tell they dance. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, I guess it's the, the, an air or a gait, you know, or a way, the way their spine is erect, you know, the way it moves through space or the way their legs, the way they walk in terms of, you know, they walk like, you know, with turnout legs where, you know, they, you know, people say, <laughs> look like ducks walking, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard it uh, throughout my life. I'm like, you know, we'll sit with somebody, you know, who's been in that world and they're like, yeah, I think that that person's a dancer. And then you, they come and they sit down at the table and there's some, at least a few years in that person's background. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know, we're, we're trained to move our bodies in, in a certain way. Right. So we're always constantly thinking about it. And then at some point, at some point it just forms into, yeah. you know, your posture. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, so you do five years at the this dance company, um, but you brought up Todd Williams, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Did you get to know him more? Did you get to kind yeah. of like what? Yeah. So so when I joined the company, you know, he was the assistant director um, or a rehearsal assistant, one of those. But he was like, you know, right hand to the director, and he was great. I loved it. I mean, he taught me the first work, the first repertoire. You know, he was the one that taught mm-hmm. me. Um, the the choreography so it was like firsthand the way you know I watch this I could I could still envision the way he moves in my head you know like there's something about his ability like his I don't know his his movement um, language or you know the way he moves is so captivating for me yeah I uh in my research about your work, um, something that really stood out to me is the James Brown production. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood and um, my brother and I, we talk about this experience quite often. We talk about it a lot. Uh, the intelligence of um, black art. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say the intelligence of black people because that's that's a dumb thing to say mm-hmm. because human beings are, are, are intelligent, but when it comes to art, comedy, music, you know, all of that, there's this another level to what they do. Right. And I feel like sometimes, uh, 
black dance or black jazz or music uh, that comes from the African-American experience is powered by uh, this explosive uh, motivation to, to express, mm -hmm. right? What was your experience on, on the James Brown production? And then I want to hear sort of like a comparison or not even a comparison between the Vietnamese culture and the black culture mm -hmm. in the world of dance or in the world, the lack of dance in, in, in the Vietnamese culture. But I, I want to hear the James Brown experience and then, you know, uh, move into sort of this idea of dancing in the Vietnamese world. Okay. Um, so um, it all started, I was actually at a residency in Steamboats, Colorado. Um, and I had created some work and there was a director there who was directing um, a musical and, you know, um, he was in residency. I was in residency as a, as a choreographer. And he saw my work and, you know, he said, we should collaborate sometime. And I said, definitely, Otis, you know, just give me a call. Yeah, Let me yeah. know when, you know. So we've been talking about this, you know, over the years. And then, um, and then he was signed on to the James Brown Project as a director. So when the funding came in for that and all the, all the moving parts came together, he reached out to me and he said, hey, would you be interested in being one of the choreographers and create a section for this production? And I said, of course, you know. And so um, he said, propose to me the, the tracks or the songs that you want to create to, and um, we'll figure out the programming for this. But, you know, um, uh, he, so he enlisted me as one of the choreographers. And so the company that they brought on uh, for the project um, is the Philadelphia Dance Company, Philadenko, which uh, I have a great relationship with. Um, and so it was my first time choreographing a work for the company um, that would tour, you know, Atlanta, Lafayette, you know, oh, mm -hmm. all across uh, the US and then back to the Apollo Theater. Um, so it was, um, it was exciting, you know, it was my introduction to, you know, really understanding, uh, you know, the whole uh, 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 catalog of James Brown's music because I had to listen to them all and say, this one works. And then how do you transition from this song to that song? And um, yeah, it was a great experience and the dancing was amazing, so. Did you pick one track and then like hone in on that one track and then do choreograph? choreography for that one track or was it because there's nine of you right there was nine choreographers or there's nine people i i read that there's maybe nine dancers i think there's okay four or five choreographers and then yeah. so were you in charge of a specific uh section, section. section. okay so my section were probably four four to five songs oh wow it's a lot yeah. and so we have to like you know i'm uh figure out how to transition through the song. Yeah, it was like, mine was about 10 minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it, it, it was an awesome experience. It was an, yeah. And James, James Brown's music is explosive. Yes, absolutely. It, there was so much to work with, right? Yeah. And, you know, like I had to figure out ways to move that, represented me, 
but also inspired by the yeah. dancers and also, you know, understanding the complexity of the music, right? The dynamic of the music. Um, and it's, a, it's, you know, he has a different shape to his music that I had to really, you know, like figure it out for myself how to come together with his music and make it work. But I'm, I'm kind of blown away that a black director like Otis would pick um, a Vietnamese person um, from a, I, I would imagine a different sort of dance uh, tradition than James Brown. James Brown is just like up there dancing a funk and, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's all over the place. Well, you know, I think he saw a move like a choreographic um, kind of a aesthetic different than the other choreographers. We were all very different you know, all of the choreographers that he brought on. And I think he saw my work and it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, he saw how it could fit into the program and complement it, right? Yeah. Um, Is there any way you can describe that? Cause you know, cause I'm, I'm having trouble understanding uh, a Vietnamese, you know, yeah. and, a, I, it's you know, hard. yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard. interesting to me how it can cross, you know, cross-cultural, mm -hmm. you know, that's like asking a, a guitar player to come into a funk band, you know, a Vietnamese guy who comes from a different tradition, you know, you bring him over here and how do you get him to play or okay, function with you? So Otis graduated from Juilliard. Ah, okay. okay so now we get it. There's not, a connective tissue there. Yeah, but it's not about like, it's not about like, distinctions right yeah it's about it's about um uh i don't know how to explain it but um you know it's <laughs> this is hard to explain <laughs> sorry i don't mean to be challenging but i just no, I, i'm not getting it yet so the so the tradition of philadelphia dance company is you know there's ballet there's modern there's jazz, mm. there's Horton, there's all of these different um, traditions, uh, tradition and technique yeah. you know, that we all learn. And so we can identify that when we look at each other's movements and bodies and say, oh, okay, they can work together very well because there's a foundational, you know, um, um, there's a foundation that we can work from. Mm -hmm. Right? They recognize in my movements that I come from a certain tradition that is very similar, you know? Um, so it's, and Otis as the director, you know, came from the same, you know, uh, language, uh, educational, educational background yeah. that you know, I, I got to, you know, have. And the Philadelphia Dance Company, the director of the company, she, the founder of the of that company, she's very, you know, um, she it's, uh, you know, dance is not segregated, right? She's not about that. She's about taking all of it's education, hmm. right? All of these forms are part of our body education, you know, um, and so it, there is there is uh, it's vital. You know, it's vital to to understand that technique is it's not it doesn't belong to right. You know, a, any a, particular a, yeah, but that it serves us to facilitate you know and to educate us you know and to give us the knowledge to generate right to generate yeah 
um, further. Um, yeah, or generate interpretation, right? Yeah. So that's so to to yeah. So so when Otis saw my work, I think he can relate to my language. You know, to the the the, the way I was using dance as a language to speak to him. Yeah, connected with that, connected yeah. with your your soul. This uh, idea of tradition and um, connective tissue within the dance world, mm -hmm. does this exist in Vietnam um, at this level? Or is it growing, like, is it a growing movement in Vietnam? A dance? D dancing at, like, the Juilliard level, the, you know, oh, yeah. the technical so. side of it. I think uh, when I was in Saigon, um, you know, my friend um, uh, allowed me to go into his his company class and teach and watch and observe and you know, and yeah, they are doing it over there. Um, so, and they're talented. They're super talented. Mm -hmm. um, there and there are a lot of dancers that are 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 training in Europe, training in China, training in America, and they're all coming back there to, you know, um, to uh, instill that into, you know, our current culture. Because I don't think we have, I mean, I haven't been able to find a history of dance. Right. Right. Even, even folk dance. Like, I just haven't been able to find any literature or documentation yeah. of what is dance in Vietnam from you know, from let's just say French colonial time all the way up till the Vietnam War, you know, could not find anything on it. Um, could not find any, you know, um, uh, any footage, photographs, anything to just even say, ah, that's how our bodies move, yeah. you know? Um, so yes, uh, in contemporary Vietnam, yeah, there there are a lot of, um, um, uh, young you know uh artists dancers bringing it back to vietnam and instilling it and teaching it you know what was the uh, first year when did you go back to vietnam for the first time um i think it was 13 or 15 I, I don't know maybe it was 13 it was it was on my I, I was doing a um, competition in Beijing a choreographic competition in Beijing and since I was there already I'm like you know what let me go visit Vietnam and that was the first time and it was more just a you know a, uh, a um, introduction you know I was there for a week um, it was just a slow introduction to see like this is, you know, this is Vietnam. This is where I was, you know, born. This is my culture. This is my people. Um, what's the way of, you know, living there, you know, and uh, how, you know, I'm like I wanted to assimilate into, you know, for that one week, just to, just to get a feeling, you know, of what it feels like to be in Vietnam. Did you have friends on the ground at the time? Um, not much. I had, I had one um uh Samai and she was there at the time so she introduced me to like different restaurants and you know like different um uh, different experiences in in Vietnam say no more shout out to Samai she is <laughs> awesome i got to spend a few years with uh, her in her world uh, while she was living in LA 
wonderful human yeah. being. Say no more. You get to say on their culture. You know, she loves yeah. to share culture, Vietnamese culture, you know, so. Yeah. Bravo. Very, very cool person. <laughs> yeah. Um, so have you been back since uh, 2013? Yes. Back often? I think I was there in 2018, the, the last time I was there. Um, I was there for four months. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Lo much longer time. Yeah, I was there for four months because um, I had time and I was working on grant proposals for, um, for um, my projects. Um, and so, and I had the time to, you know, just Explore. go there. Yeah, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was something I wanted to do, you know, and I still want to do it again. I'm not done with it yet. I'm not done exploring, but it was the right time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I needed a, a different energy, a different space um, to, to work on what I was working on also. I was, you know, there were things that I had to um, examine, investigate for my own projects. Um, so, and I always need a space that would inspire me. And, um, you know, being in Vietnam was really inspirational. Uh, you know, I, I, I was shifting the way I uh, was seeing things. Um, I was, uh, you know, experiencing, you know, being in love with a country, being in love with life, yeah. and being in love with, you know, like, wow, you know, this space, this open space for me to be creative. You know. It never gets old. Never. <laughs> never get to. I've never really counted on my passport how many times I've been back, but mm -hmm. in the last 20 years, at least twice a year, three times a year, sometimes four times a year. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's excellent. Never gets old. My, my, my brother lives there and I have a factory that, uh, you know, we have a legacy family uh, textile business that my, my mom, dad and I, my brother started uh, 20 years ago and it still, okay. uh, still runs to today. Um, okay. So I can go back and check in on it and, you know, um, 2013 is the first time you go back. But mm -hmm. um, as I'm reading about your work, 15, it may be 15, I think. Okay. I 13 or 15 It's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I bring that up because uh, in my sort of research about your work, 2009, you wrote about um, going on a journey home. And you're not talking about like from New York to LA home. You're talking about a, a metaphoric, metaphoric journey home. Can we start to talk about that? Yeah. Um, so I had just um, traveled to Asia, but not Vietnam. I was on tour with um, the company. And, um, you know, like it was the first time I went back to Asia. Right. And so being in an Asian country, it brings back, even though, we don't speak the same language. I can identify with our features, right? And so being in, you know, an Asian country, it felt different. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was recognizing that, that, that feeling, like, why do I feel so at ease, right? That everyone I see, you know, and, uh, and the kind of food and the kind of interaction, it's very different than what I was experiencing in, in America. Not that it's bad, but it was just yeah. different. They were just different, you know, like there was a, a, you, you know, I grew up here for, you know, so many years and then I go back and there's a difference. I feel a difference, right? Um, and so 
you know, um, you know, and Connelly's music has always been in my life growing up. You know, my mom loved it. You know, she was, you know, I would hear her walking through, you know, like uh, Orange County, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in Garden Grove or, you know, yeah. the malls and stuff. I would, you know, hear her blast, not blasting, but like through the radio, through the stereo, the speakers and all that stuff. Like her voice is unique, right? Yeah. Um, but not not only unique, but it's like it it sits with you, right? I didn't know what it was. I was too young, but I knew that like what her sound sat with me in a way that was like empathetic. Like there was something empathetic about her sound, you know. When I listened to it, like the 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 story, the the humanity, the you know the the humanness in her singing, right? Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I went to a local Vietnamese um, CDs, you know, like a, a shop in Chinatown in New York. And I bought all these kindly mm. CDs, you know, cause I knew I liked her voice and um, I started playing them. And all of a sudden there were these songs before 1975, right? Yeah. Cause my version, the versions that I've heard in, in the US have been, after, right? After 1975 yep. or Americanized, right? In made in America, you know, um, synthesized, arranged in America, um, even though I recognize the songs, but the arrangement was different. Um, and there was something haunting about these pre-1975 songs that was telling me, you know, um, was, was telling me about the history, right? The history of the people through these songs. And so I just did careful research, like, you know, like, what do these words mean? Talking to people, what does this song mean, you know? Um, And a big component was that, you know, here I am a Vietnamese person in the field of dance. Who understands that language, right? Who understands that language to speak with me? Hardly anyone. Yeah. So, you know, I would invite my, my, my my parents and my family to see me dance but you know it was just they saw it and do they get it probably you know they just like watching me up on stage but not really understanding it connecting Mm -hmm. and so the one of the main component was like how do i you know like communicate you know my feelings in ways through you know through dance the, the language that i know to my family or to my community at large, right? Using ballet modern to articulate a Vietnamese experience. Um, and so, because that's who I am, yeah, you know, um, that's who I am. I recognize, you know, I'm affected by those songs. Um, I, I feel it, I understand. I'm like, I'm, I'm haunted by them, right? These songs that yeah. I'm singing. And they really inspired me because they taught me a little, you know, um, a history that was kind of swept under the rug since I came. Like, we don't talk about it. My parents don't talk about it. No one write, you know, like no one wrote about it, you know, for us to read. Yeah. And if they did, it was in Vietnamese. And, uh, you know, my, my, you know, reading of Vietnamese is not that great. You know, it's very hard for me. And so I couldn't connect in those ways. Um, but those songs helped me, helped me. Um, and so that's, that, that was my journey. Like that's how I started, um, 
on my journey, you know, and it took a couple of years. This happened in 2000 and around 2005 and six when it oh, yeah. trigger, right? The trigger happened. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't until I worked with Valley Austin that it was formulated because I had to, right? We, we had to get money. We had to get a grant. And in order to get the grant, I had to really break it down what it is that I wanted to do with this. You know, and originally, um, so Michelle Martin, the associate director of uh, Ballet Austin, you know, um, I had done some work there with her company. And after uh, the work, you know, after completing the work, she said, hey, do you have any other ideas you want to uh, work on for the next project we do? You know, because I want to invite you back. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've been thinking about Pinocchio. It's random. You know, Pinocchio. Yeah. You know, um, no one has done it. Yeah. You know, and I'm kind of interested in that narrative, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and it's a, a children, you know, it's a story that has adult content in, in a mask in like, you know, children's story. And she's like, okay, that sounds interesting. Develop it. Right. And so uh, I was researching it, you know, doing a lot of context, you know, contextualization yeah. and research and talking to, you know, people that, I trust. Um, so I was working on that, but I was also working on Quiet Imprint on my own. That's just my own thing. And so when it came time to um, to uh, um, give her, you know, which one I wanted to do, I gave her both. I said, Michelle, here's Pinocchio, but you know, here's something I, I've been working on also, you know. Tell me what you think, you know, because, you know, I didn't think like a ballet company would be interested yeah. in the Vietnamese experience, right? The next day she returns, you know, an e with an email saying, I love Pinocchio, but, but I'm really interested in you finding a voice in that, you know, other. Yeah. Proposal. We didn't have a name for it at the time, mm -hmm. you know, but she said, I really see this as something important you know, and that's what dance is about. It's about reaching out to other communities, mm, yeah. right? And, you know, when she said that, I was like, wow, okay, I'm gonna get to work. And so I started working in cafes, you know, listening song, crying in the middle of these songs mm -hmm. because I'm like really connecting to them. You know, each time I heard it, I'm like, wow, oh my God, like, you know, like just being dramatic in my head. Like, I can't imagine. <laughs> And then it made me realize like, wow, my mom never had a childhood. Things like that. Ideas and concepts that we have in America, then you apply it, you're like, wow. Hmm. During that time, she was growing up in a time of war, in a time of exile, in a time of this, in a time of that. You know, so it made me like, it, it, it haunted me even more like, and here I am like, oh, I didn't have a childhood, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like talking about, you know, so you, it puts you into perspective, like, yeah. And then thinking about my sister, you know, like thinking about, you know, so connected to my family, how, how it all connected to my family and how it shaped their experience and their journey. Right. And so it, it made me soften a lot more for my mom mm. to say, she's the way she is today she's who she is today 
you know, why she's so kind to me, why yeah. she's open, why she's so supportive. It's because of that, right? Instead of like being that mom that wants, you know, that wants to control me, she probably experienced this control that she did not like growing up, you know? So it was like, so it was, it, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a history lesson for me, but always a lesson, you know, to, to empathize and really put yourself in someone's experience and not to talk, not to speak about You're right from for the for them but to speak you know it, you know in a way that context you know, that contextualizes your experience you know like oh i i get it i understand like wow you know i am privileged over here in yeah. terms of just even just growing up here you know compared to like my cousins who are still there you know things like that um so yes long story short i there was a lot of research for it and then i contacted um Kindly through email, and she first rejected me. <laughs> she rejected me because you know she didn't know you. Were, were you introduced? Were you introduced to her by somebody? No, I just, I just cold email. Just that's how I, you know, I'm not. I, I, I will email and be like, hey, yo, this is what I'm doing. What do you think? Would you yeah. be interested in it? You know, and I mean, a ballet. You know, like she, she wouldn't even know. Like, you know, she just like, she, she can't picture it probably to say like, or feel like, oh, I don't know how this would work. You know, like the pressure in terms mm -hmm. of like not understanding. Um, and then um, I was adamant, you know, I was like, no. You pushed. Yeah, I'm like, no, this project cannot happen without her. Like it cannot, I have to find a way, you know. To get her involved, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, um, I finally got around to the right people and I said, please speak to her for me and explain because my, my Vietnamese is not, you know, I can't explain in ways that are, you know, uh, you know, that can, can influence or, you know, kind of um, uh, help, you know, them see the way I see it. So uh, I had a friend ask her, talk to her, then we renegotiated, we met up you know, and, and look at the songs and say which one she's comfortable with, you know, things like that. So we finally came to, um, to uh, an understanding, you know, and I was, I was, you know, and I wanted to assure her that it was a genuine, you know, a genuine project that really wants to um, have her voice included because it's important, right, to tell these stories. And, so that's how it happened. She flew into to Austin, Austin and she came into the rehearsal studio space and sang 30 songs wow. that night. Practiced 30 songs that night. Holy shit. <laughs> well, no, no, 10 songs. Yeah. Three times because I'm a taskmaster. <laughs> and she will tell you, like, she's like, God, he worked me hard the first day. <laughs> Do you please tell me you have a recording of this somewhere? I do. Um, I don't have a recording of our first rehearsal. No, I mean of the actual production. I do. Yes, I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. Is it out like out in the internet that we can just YouTube it or? There's not the full thing. Okay, but we yeah. can find clips of it and stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, want to go back to that haunting. Um, 
what you talked about really early about Kunli before 75, the, the way that the tapes are mastered mm-hmm. in the studio, um, it's kind of, it's not fully scratchy, mm-hmm. but the mastering is very different from like the music that was produced in the US after 75. Mm-hmm. And that the old soundtrack is very, it, it gives uh, the listener a very nostalgic sense of um, when you listen, you think of the old country and, and mm-hmm. how romantic and how difficult life was. And, you know, especially the, the content of the, the lyrics that, that she's singing about. Mm-hmm. Did you do more of the show on that period or was it like, I mean, did you want to recreate? My question, I guess, is there's a line of demarcation between before 75 and after 75. Did you want to, did you do the show based on the pre-75 sort of haunting or was it the app post-75? Pre-75. So I wanted that, that sort of arrangement, that sort of soundscape, you know, that hollowness that's there. You know, um, and I made uh, um, I made sure to talk to the music director um, in terms of how I wanted to shape the arrangement. You know, um, and so I sent them all the songs, and they had to, they had to listen to it. And they're all they were they're all uh, you know Americans, and they had to listen to you know this catalog of music that they didn't understand. You know, yeah. But orally, they understood. Yeah. You know, lyrically, they didn't understand what yeah. those words meant. But as a sound, they understood. And um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a very um, uh, um, fun project in terms of like seeing how our music, you know, was handed to these American musicians and how they were able to um, connect, yeah, you know, translate it into an arrangement that that um uh, that worked and the show went on for what just one night two nights a whole month a year how did it um it was i think it was four nights yeah it was thursday to sunday usually that's that's how shows work uh dance shows work um so we we premiered in austin and then that was it four nights and then we partnered up with um um, an organization in Houston to help sponsor, help, you know, uh, help us produce, you know, the show in Houston. And then, then we did the same thing for um, uh, Orange County. County. Can, can you tell me what the process is? You have an inception, Pinocchio or Quiet Imprint from inception on like a notepad in your head, coffee mm-hmm. shop to the the, the last day of the show. Can you kind of walk me through the kind of like the big points of, of a show's life from its inception to the final day? Yeah. So it's, you know, dance is ephemeral, right? It disappears, right? So that's generally how it happens, right? It comes and then it disappears. It doesn't, doesn't stay long, right? Especially for, you know, a small productions, you know, mm-hmm or communities also, yeah. Um, So we would rehearse probably, I think the, uh, I think it was eight weeks of rehearsal. So so eight weeks of rehearsal, that means concept, right? Developing. Yeah. Right, developing and then um, putting it together, 
right? Choreographing it and then really fine tuning to shape it into a narrative that mm -hmm. you're happy with. And then, then you have uh, dress rehearsal, which is like the week before the show, you do lights and all that stuff. And yeah. you putting it, put all the finishing touches on, um, you know, on the, on the piece. And then you do a dress rehearsal and then you do, you know, a run through, you know, to make sure that everything is gonna work, um, that everything will fall into place. Oh, sorry. My phone, is, my computer's gonna die. I'm gonna okay. plug in. Let me put pause. Uh, usually um, the piece goes through a production week, which is with lights, costumes, practicing on stage, um, and then, you know, light calls, all of that to make sure the show runs smoothly. So we usually have a final dress rehearsal and that's, that's to make sure that, um, you know, all the loose ends are tied. Um, and then we premiere the show. And then usually it goes for the weekend and then that's it. Or you bring it to a different city or, you know, however you want to remount it. Now, does, I'm always interested in the financial backside of it. Does, do you do it or does the person or company that sponsors the money side of it, are they looking for an ROI or profit or is it just sort of, yeah, what is it? No. How does it no work? So we got a grant for Quiet Imprint. Um, so, so Michelle and me, we proposed uh, for a grant with the Princess Grace Foundation. So I'm a Princess Grace recipient, you know, Princess Grace Award recipient for choreography. And within that, um, there are these other grants for recipients to apply for. And so we apply for a special project. And so the project was to bring quiet imprint to the Vietnamese community, you know, a community that does not see ballet yeah. or dance for that, you know. Um, and so, you know, we were lucky to get the grant and that's how, um, that's, that's where the base, you know, most of the money got it. Um, and then there were, you know, other donors or like, um, arts council, you know, grants from the local level or the state level uh, that supplement it. Right. That's great to hear that, you know, the profit's not a motive in this uh, setup. Mm -mm. It's never, yeah, there's no, it's no profit. But, but the metric is really how many warm bodies can you get in the seat though, right? Because if, yeah. you know, you do this and there's nobody showing up, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, I think the profit you know, for these organizations uh, is seen through, you know, how have we reached other communities that normally don't go see dance and how can we affect these communities in terms of looking at dance differently, right? As a cultural production. Um, and that's what's so great about America. Right? I know, I was just gonna say that. I, I'm just about to bust on that topic right now. <laughs> you know, like- It is. Like they're not looking yeah, it's not ROI. I mean, yeah. it's the betterment of your community <laughs> and culture, which is an ROI, you know? So, you know, it's however people want to value it. For me, it's, that's the value, you know? So if I don't make a dime, fine, you know. What does, what needs to happen in our world, uh, both in Vietnam and here in America, in the Vietnamese communities, that we can sort of turn the switch on to understanding. Cause all right, I'll be honest with you, everything that I've ever been raised with 
except this damn podcast that I'm doing right now has been about ROI. And I don't think that's gotten me very far. I'll be honest with you. I like, I used to do everything for an ROI. You know, I just, I didn't want to do anything that didn't profit. And what I'm learning is that is not the right way to live. Um, But I'm not going, I don't have a better way to kind of like figure this out. And I, it's a discussion that's worthy. Um, What you mentioned about like just the ROI is the community building aspect of it. How do we get this permeating in our community? You know, that's, that's a difficult question. You know, it's like ideal, right? That's ideal for our community, but you know, it's, it's how we place value, right? It's where we place value. Like for me, my experience of going to see a dance work or a ballet and leaving that night being moved is my value. Yeah. I'll spend money on that, right? Some people don't see it like that. They're like, oh, I didn't get anything out of it, you know, but I have the language, you know, to, to receive it. Yeah. Um, so it requires education. It requires, you know, from the beginning, you know, so you can't expect people to see dance and be moved by dance the way I see dance and, and be moved by dance. You just can't. I come, I come from a different um, background and a different set of, you know, um, information that, that um, uh, you know, uh, shapes what I value. You know, like, I'm not interested in buying, you know, an expensive bag because that's not my value, but yeah. that bag makes someone happy. So, you know, it's, it's really difficult to say, you know, you know, it makes that person happy more than the dance did. So how do we do, you know, so it's difficult. It's a very difficult topic because it requires, um, you know, a from the ground up right? It requires that it's part of our education, part of our experience, right? Um, To me, it's like going to church, like going to a ballet, going to see dance. I'm moved in that way. And I'm moved to be a better person in that way. You go to church? Um, Or that's just an analogy? uh, Well, I'm not going to lie. I do go to church but maybe once or twice a year. Catholic? Yes, I come from a Catholic family. As do I. (laughs) Do you go to church? (laughs) I haven't been to church. I haven't been to church uh, other for maybe a wedding or two. Um, Mm -hmm. And even then I struggle with being in a church. It has a lot of vestiges of pain and suffering and trauma for me uh, mm-hmm. and my brother. I probably speak for the both of us. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was a very traumatic experience. We had a very um, tough Catholic parents that mm-hmm. didn't allow. But as I'm now growing into um, this exploration of being Vietnamese, I mean, there's this attachment to Vietnamese Catholics mm-hmm. uh, and that journey of, you know, who, what has created uh, a lot of us today. And I talked to um, uh, a director friend of mine, Bao Win, a uh, very close friend, and uh, we talk about this idea of rituals. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something that's being introduced in my psyche these days, and it's making me appreciate that, uh, mm-hmm. that journey a lot more. And I'm probably going to get into it deeply with another guest that I, I have uh, next week. Um, he's a, an older person and um you know we 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 debated in a pre-interview um meeting yesterday uh, about the um the the merits of 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 the catholic uh 
force in, mm-hmm. in, in our lives as Vietnamese people. Yeah. What, what, uh, what, you know, you don't sound like you have uh, any baggage with it. It sounds very, you know, it sounds like a very pleasant experience for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't have a, a bad experience growing up in a Catholic, in the Catholic church, but I did see things, you know, I saw things that contradicted a lot of the, a lot of the um, practices that these adults were. Yeah. Did you, did you go to Vietnamese church? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, St. Christopher's in West Covina. Oh, I don't, I don't. I, no, I. <laughs> you cringed at that. You're like, uh, I don't know. I, which, whatever my parents like, I don't recall. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it, you know, I mean, I, I learned Vietnamese in the church. Yeah. You know? I learned yeah. how to, you know, somewhat read, somewhat write, you know, in the, in, in the church, you know, retain my tongue in the church. Um, but, uh, you know, it does good for s- some people and some people, exploit it you know it's exploitation of it that i have you know well anytime anyone you know shows hypocrisy or contradictions then it devalues whatever it is that you know they are you know trying to yeah i'm learning to kind of like detach that experience from you know that hypocrisy uh experience that i've been seared into my mind i'm learning to detach from that and kind of appreciate the rituals and sort of like the it's it's hard yeah it's hard because i've met people who are amazing human beings who are church catholic amazing human beings who are buddhist amazing you know who are all these different you know and and it's all it's those separation yeah you know and then those identity that come into play and then they start to oppress others that I have an issue with Yep. or imposition, right? Imposition. Totally. Yeah. This is a great point. Yeah. Cause that's how I felt. I felt oppressed. I felt, you know, our religion's better than theirs. Yeah. I mean, so it's, you know, no, it serves you. Your religion serves you. So therefore it's better for you. Right. But yeah. not for everyone else. So it's a point what it should be yeah. not be, you know, and it's the imposition that happens a lot in, you know, but that's part of, that's part of the language of, you know, that's part of the hierarchy language in our culture, right? It's imposed onto us. Every thought, every belief, every custom, every tradition, you don't question it. It's imposed onto us. So it's a practice that, that is, you know, that is, we don't think about it like that, right? We just think that's it. But because we do, we do that, we are practicing that imposition. Yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, handed down from a Confucius um, structure. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, think, I think it has its merits, right? Merits, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I would love to respect my parents. You know, I do, you know, I would love to respect my elders, but it can't be in a structure that silences me, right? Absolutely. Or don't, or a structure that doesn't give me a voice to participate in. But I, I think that's why I think now we're able to sort of take the best of both worlds, you mm-hmm. know, and create this third culture. Um, and I think it's happening in Vietnam too. You know, the kids in Vietnam are, uh, 
adopting um, a new approach to sort of the way they respect their elders. I, I, I witness it in, in Vietnam, you know, with the youth that I work with, with, um, with, with the work that I do. And it's very, it's a beautiful dance, you know, yeah. no pun intended, but. You know, most of my friends are older than me, like generation older than me. Right. Yeah. And there's a beauty to it. There is. The ones that are friends with me, yeah. you know, are the ones I learned so much from. Right. And, and, and learning so much from them and I'm, I'm learning, right. I'm learning because they allow me to ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, contradict them. Yeah. You know, they're allowing me to have a voice in this conversation. Right. And so, you know, I mean, so it is possible, you know, it is possible, but it has to be put into our practice or, or cultural practice. Yeah. Of, not having this hierarchy, you know. When you so, were working with Kun Lee, mm-hmm. did you run into the hierarchical wall? Oh, no. No? Oh, no, she is the hardest working really? woman. And the kindest. I mean, you know, I, she's... She gave me everything. Like... Even though, you know, she's like, you made me saying that three times. You know how old I am. <laughs> you, know, you know, my pipe is not like when I was, you know, da, 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 da. But she would do it, you know. Yeah. And um, and she was very supportive, you know. And she would always, you know, like if she she needed something, she was like, can, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? You know, she never used her position, you know, to to manipulate yeah, or to, muscle you to muscle she never did that no that's oh, beautiful what's so. uh what do you have for the future what's in store um so uh just working away you know um i teach at a university and so i do a lot of my um you know, um, uh, examination, exploration, and creativity with the university that I'm with. Um, and I'm currently working on a research paper um, about uh, dance, in dance, um, that I think it's important for me. You know, it's just, uh, so that's, that's what, I, that's what I, I'm doing right now, you know, like, pulling in the academic side with the, um, uh, the practice side. And they work hand in hand, you know, they're, they're super important, um, uh, you know, to make sure that you don't lose sight of things. Do you think there's ever going to be a, a time where you go back to Vietnam and, uh, oh, yeah. and teach yeah, yeah. and work? Um, yeah, I mean, if the structure is there, if it's right, you know, um, I, I think, I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm used to this, this academic academia structure, um, that supports, you know, supports the artist scholar model. Um, I, I, I I would love to go back to Vietnam and teach or choreograph. Um, but, it would be, you know, it would be something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a conceptual person. I want to make sure I know what I'm getting myself into. I want to make sure that it's doable. 
you know, I'm, I'm not like one of those like, okay, yeah, yeah, let's just do it. You know, like, no, I, I got to, you know, answer all of my questions and to make sure it's doable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I would love to create stuff that is about the Vietnamese imagination. Right. Um, yeah, because it's, that's a necessary exploration for everybody who's involved in the arts and entertainment and Vietnamese space. Yeah, but you know, but just because I want to do it doesn't mean it it will be you know it will be um, accessible. Right? What do you mean by that? Yeah, but I I understand that. But what can you explain that it it won't be accessible? Will be accessible, right? So there's a lot of groundwork that has to be done, right? You can't expect someone to come in and look at a ballet and understand what what it is it's years of watching years of experience years of seeing it and then understanding how it's used or applied right to communicate yeah. through movement um and also you know shaping you know shaping your eyes to see movements differently right uh, yeah it's almost like watching chess or golf if you're not playing either of those uh you know if you don't play chess or you don't play golf the sport you can't really understand and appreciate uh, mm-hmm. exactly. what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, and even so, like, okay, now in Vietnam, right, we have ballet, right? And we yeah. also have hip-hop, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's hip-hop. Have our community given um, acknowledgement to those sources? Right? So that's the beginning, right? Yeah. Because what they're doing over there is copying, right? We copy, we like to copy, but not really giving acknowledgement of those sources. But we know, right? We know um, where they come from. And before you, you acknowledge, you know, before you use those sources, say hip hop, you gotta make sure that there's just for that community that you have just taken the source from. Yeah, this idea of appropriation. Well, you know, I mean, but you know, people are, you know, and you know who benefits? We do, the consumer or? Exactly, you, but you know who loses the most? The original people well, who create it? Depends. Or the artists? Well, it depends, right? In a way, yes, but for hip hop, the black community doesn't make any money. Yeah. But for ballet, the white community continues to make money mm. in other. So there's a difference. You see the difference? Interesting. Interest. Yeah. Even though we are taking the two, you yeah. see the, the dichotomy that happens, right? And it's that injustice that continues and perpetuates. Such a subtle, subtle point. But we have to look at it in those terms. In terms so when you're talking about tradition, you know, keeping tradition old and new or like the you know the younger Vietnamese you know um uh uh, um what's that um you know learning from past experience but we also have to make sure that while we're forging these new traditions that we don't repeat the same exclusion that past you know past experience have shown us yeah I mean our our community there's uh i mean it's nothing's perfect it's messy you know 
I, I assume every community is messy, but I think the more we talk about it, the more we explore through dialogue, the more we can sort of have understanding um, in regards to the communities that are oppressed. Yeah. Well, I just hope the practitioners of these, yeah. of these um, uh, medium are aware of that. That's all. Right. Well, I have a few coming on the show in the, the next few weeks. Um, <laughs> Hip hop dancers. Cause uh-huh. I, uh, I produced the movie with uh, director Stefan Gogger um, in the oh, yes. yeah, was... Saigon electric. It was a oh. hip hop film. Mm-hmm. I put that, I helped put that project together uh, for Stefan. Loved um, it. I, I saw it. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. So, because, you know, coming from a dance yeah. background, what I saw, you know, was, you know, really engaging for me. Yeah. So I have a few of the dancers uh, I've reached out to um, after all these years. We're, we're going to talk about that, but I, I am terrified sometimes to talk about appropriation because I'm not sure it'll be received in the, so I have to, I have to kind of like carefully figure out how to kind of like uh, explore that topic with people uh, who are not, um, you know, probably are not privy to kind of like the way we see this level of um, taking, you know, mm-hmm. borrowing. And, well, you know, like movements can't be owned, right? So it's yeah. fine. You're, you're doing, you're practicing and in a way you are, you're, that's, you know, but it's the acknowledgement of where they came from, right? That's yeah. important. Because other, other than that, you know, the African community, uh, the African-American community continues to lose their cultural productions. Yeah. It is a deep uh, subject that uh, can continue for um, hours between you and I. You know, but that's why it upsets me when I see, you know, figures in the Vietnamese community totally bashing African-Americans, yet they consume a lot of these, you know, sources, these these cultural products that derive from the African-American community. Yeah. It goes on, it goes on and on and on. I mean, that's yeah. just sort of um, skimming the surface with the, yes. the idea of, yeah. I mean, again, I, I like I said, t- my brother and I, we talk a lot about mm-hmm. this idea of intelligence and the things that we that we don't really see within the um, within the communities that that are you know whether it's black, brown. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a there's we could do a whole nother episode just on that and how how touchy the Vietnamese community is with with the you know BLM and you know all of these uh, current political um, situations that we're we're in. It's uh, I I hope one day that we're gonna be able to really explore it without um, or actually explore it and have it be messy, but. Yeah. You know, we have a platform to, to kind of discuss it. Yeah. Well, Tang, I had a wonderful time. Um, very pleasant to, to get to, <laughs> to hear uh, what you've done. And I, I'm looking forward to uh, the next 20 years of, uh, you know, 20, 30 years of your work and exploring uh, more of the stories that you're going to bring through dance. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, yes. And I'll keep you posted on, you know, the things I'm doing. Yeah. And then we'll get back on. We'll um, sit okay. down and we'll, we'll talk and then hopefully we can break into these other topics that I think we started right now at the end of this and, and get more into it. Hopefully things have improved at that point too, but yeah. I'd love to hear about it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Tang. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Kenneth. Okay. All right. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Proenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.